Okay. So the question I think everyone wants to know is like, are you doing, are you supplementing with testosterone? Uh, The answer is yes. Hello, everyone. I'm Morgan, co-founder of Primal Kitchen and host of the Primal Kitchen podcast. I'm excited to have Mark here today, our founder and author of Primal Blueprint and the Keto Reset Diet. I don't really need to do too big of an intro on Mark. I know you guys all know him, but um, we've been doing a few of these chats, just Mark and I, and we thought it would be a fun one to do a reader-listener QA all about testosterone. Before we get started, a brief reminder that any and all opinions and views shared by hosts and guests on this podcast are the speaker's own and do not represent the view of Primal Kitchen or its affiliates or parent company. So hello, Mark. Hello, Morgan. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Great. And you are where in the world these days? Tell um, me. I am uh, in Miami Beach, having returned from uh, a week in California where I was uh, meeting my new grandson. So, Congrats. Daughter so Devin had a baby two weeks ago, a little boy named Kai, just uh, cute as a button. Um, and then my granddaughter, JJ, who's now two and a half, uh, very proud to be a big sister. So it's uh, just all warm fuzzies here for me. I love it. I love it. The sister family's growing. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So for those listening, why don't you give us just like a little background on testosterone? Like what, what, what's the big things people need to know about testosterone? Well, I mean, this is a very complex uh, topic. Um, you know, testosterone is one of many hormones in, in the body. Uh, if we go wind back a little bit to how the body operates, you know, we are basically uh, this organism that's derived from DNA. Uh, the genes that are in the DNA are basically sets of instructions that tell uh, different parts of the body what to do. There's, these genes are little switches that turn on the manufacturing of protein, and sometimes they turn themselves off. Uh, so a lot of uh, the control, uh, the level of control above these switches uh, is based on hormones that we secrete. And these, these hormones are often secreted in response to the environment. Um, sometimes they're just secreted endogenously um, because that's how the body operates. So testosterone is one of these hormones that has an effect of turning on certain genes. And uh, most people know testosterone because it's the male androgenic hormone. Uh, the counterpart in females is estrogen. But testosterone is present uh, in both men and women, it's uh, made in some part by the adrenals, but mostly in the men by the testes. Um, you know, w- women, uh, ovaries do make a little bit of testosterone, but predominantly estrogen. So this testosterone uh, at a certain uh, level of development in males kind of dis- uh, describes the male predominant uh, characteristics, larger muscle mass, uh, heavy, thicker, thicker, stronger bones, um, hair, you know, in places that women don't want hair, but men have hair, you know, beards and, and things like that. Um, and so it, it does, it does sort of control early on, uh, the formation of a, of a male. Um, however, there's a lot of, uh, involvement with females as well. There's not as much testosterone present, but, um, certain things like, again, some of the characteristics that women have, again, form, formation of muscle, muscle mass, um, bone density, bone strength, certainly libido uh, in both men and women uh, is a function of the amount of testosterone. But it gets, it gets quite complicated because testosterone, um, you know, people talk about what I have like 
low testosterone, high testosterone. What does that look like? Well, testosterone occurs in the body in a number of different forms. There's free testosterone, which is just circulating and available to be picked up by testosterone receptor sites. And then there's bound testosterone. And a lot of testosterone is bound to sex hormone binding globulin, which is you can actually test for. And so when you look at like the amount of testosterone in a blood test, for instance, it's a combination of this free testosterone and this bound testosterone. For men, and, and again, the age range is, is, is um, partly a factor in this, but men usually the total amount of testosterone, 300 to 260 to 300 nanograms per deciliter up to about a thousand nanograms per deciliter is a, is a range uh, that would be considered normal. But even, even within the normal range, there are variations and variables and factors. So you, you might encounter somebody who has relatively low testosterone, but exhibits um, probably slightly more obvious male characteristics than someone else who has mid-range or higher testosterone, because we also talk about the receptor sites. So testosterone binds to a receptor site, and then that's what affects the turning on or off of a genetic switch. So it's not just the, the amount of testosterone that's circulating. There's also consideration given to the number of receptor sites that we have. So it's a very, a very complex um, equation, if you will. And uh, so when people discuss you know, what should I be doing what should, for my, you know, testosterone, um, the maintenance of a healthy level of testosterone as a man predominantly, but also, you know, as a woman, uh, a lot of these things have to have to factor into this. Um, you know, one example would be like stress. Stress reduces, test well, stress increases cortisol, which cortisol suppresses the production of testosterone. So a lot of men who are under a great deal of stress have low testosterone, low T, um, as it's called in the, in the ads, yeah. <laughs> right? I have low T. Yeah. Um, and so stress is something that you can't necessarily control for other than dealing with it, you know, in your own between, you know, between your ears, uh, in, in some regards, um, some of the things that people, uh, some diets, uh, can suppress testosterone, a diet that is high in soy, soy isoflavones, and and, uh, and um, the the elements that are what we would call estrogenic about soy have an anti-testosterone effect uh, on on some people and males in particular. Um, so there's there's diet, there's stress, there there's lifting weights, lifting weights, lifting heavy things. You know, one of the primal blueprint laws prompts the body to want to. Uh, secrete a pulse of testosterone. Uh, this is a great evolutionary benefit that that derives from the notion that that if you stress the organism, you want the organism to a survive and b build back a little bit stronger from that stress. That which doesn't kill me makes me stronger. Yeah. Per Nietzsche, right? So so the idea that you go to the gym and lift heavy things and produce a pulse of testosterone and growth hormone. And as long as you don't suppress it with some stress or some dietary things, um, there is this, this effect that you become stronger as a result of the, the, this little pulse of testosterone that prompts muscles to build a little bit stronger, a little bit more powerful. So I'll leave. Uh, sorry, that was a long introduction. No, I love it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So the question I think everyone wants to know is like, are you doing, are you supplementing with testosterone? Uh, the answer is yes. Um, so 
it, again, very complex equation. Yeah. Uh, do I have chronically low testosterone? No. Um, but when I got to my early 60s, um, I recognized that I want to maintain muscle mass uh, as long as I can throughout the, the latter part of my life. I'm in the second third of my life. And now I'm anyway, so. Who knows? Uh, you might be in the third quarter of your life. You were. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, it could be. Um, so when I looked at, at um, taking testosterone or not, take, I did a lot of research and my, my physician said, absolutely, you should take it. It's, there's no downside to taking it. Uh, if you're an older person, uh, because your body naturally slows down the production of testosterone. And in my case, uh, because my physician knows that I like to push the envelope of athletic performance, and I'm going to be 69 in a couple of months, and I'm still playing, you know, ultimate with 20 somethings and 30 somethings. Um, there's a point at which that's going to be inappropriate. But right now, um, you know, I'm, I'm trying to, to do that and avoid injury and maintain muscle mass. So there was a, and, and, and because they don't, they don't test, they don't do performance drug testing for pickup games of, of, um, of ultimate, I'm not, you know, I'm not at risk of being, uh, uh, suspended for two years for playing. So Yeah, it's uh, interesting because it feels like a supplement, but it's treated like a steroid, like in a sense, right? It's almost like people look at it like, oh, you're on roids if you're taking testosterone. Uh, is it shots? Is it pills? Is it creams? What is it? Yeah, yeah. So, so you can, there are pills, there are creams. Um, some some men take creams, some men take uh, pills. The pills sort of have to sort of go through the liver to be um, incorporated into the body. And I, I'm not wild about that particular juncture there. Uh, the creams work for a lot of men, uh, and they're compounded by a compounding, um, pharmacy. Uh, if you're married, what you don't want is you don't want your, your spouse to be, um, you know, rubbing up against you and, and getting uh, some of your, some of your testosterone, uh, you know, in, in her system. So I do shots. I do a, a shot once a week. Um, it's not much, but it's a sort of what I would call a maintenance. Yeah. And um, so I've been doing that for six years, seven years. Yeah. Um, do I notice a difference when I, because I've gone off for six months just, just to experiment. I don't even notice that much of a difference when I go off. So it's not like I, I have a loss of libido or a loss of energy or anything like that. But the research that I've done would suggest to me that there's no sort of danger or contraindication of, of continuing to take it. And one of the things that happens is if you start to supplement with testosterone, you probably are, are going to do that for the rest of your life. Um, but it's, it's easy. It's, you know, it's, it's something I've chosen to do. And I think our audience has heard me talk a lot about muscle mass and maintaining muscle mass being probably the primary um, ingredient in, in longevity and a lot of reasons for that, but basically the more muscle you can maintain as you get older, um, you know, muscle is that metabolic tissue that requires input from a lot of other, uh, areas like muscle mass. When you, when you use it, when you work it, when you're playing, running, jumping, throwing, lifting, it's the muscle mass that requires the heart to beat more forcefully, right? the, the, The heart is saying, look, the guy chose to use his muscles and the demand is increased. So now I have to pump more 
more blood, more uh, oxygen and fuel to those muscle sites. Meanwhile, the lungs are saying, well, I, I have to breathe in more deeply. I have to, I have to be uh, strong at inspiring, at, at inspiration uh, to provide the oxygen. And the liver has to work harder to keep up and, pro and provide uh, some of the substrates for energy and so on and so forth. So every organ in the body benefits from you maintaining lean muscle mass. And the longer you can do this, it's, it's a concept that we call organ reserve. The longer you can do this, the, the higher organ reserve you have. So in the event that you get sick, um, and it may be, for instance, so many people who died of COVID last year would have survived had they had greater organ reserve, had they had a greater capacity to withstand uh, this viral onslaught that they had. Interesting. Um, the other, I think, component of this is just avoiding uh, injury. Again, uh, the prototypical end of life experience that we sort of read about is, you know, the, the 80 year old person who gets up in the middle of the night to go pee um, because his, you know, prostate is swollen and his bladder is weak, trips over uh, the cat, uh, falls. And because that person hasn't built the muscle mass and the strength and the balance to regain balance after tripping, falls, you know, puts a hand out or falls on the hip. And because the muscles haven't been working enough to, to prompt the bones to get stronger and maintain a rigid structure, the bone breaks. And now the person winds up in the hospital lying in a bed, um, immobile for weeks at a time. And hospitals are where people go to die. I'm sorry. I, I, keep, I do whatever you can to keep me out of a hospital. Yeah, they get a staph infection at the hospital and then. Yeah, they get a staph infection or they get, you know, pneumonia for lying in bed for so long. And then because they can't, you know, cough forcefully because their lungs have not been been prompted to act again, all based on on this organ reserve, all based on muscle mass. Uh, you know, they can't cough up the sputum, uh, and typically they'll die of congestive heart failure. And again, because the heart, the heart at some point can't keep up with the increased now the increased demands of an infection. So it's a it's, I mean, I hate to paint this, this horrible picture, but that's sort of an end of life experience for a lot of people. Yeah. The more you can maintain muscle mass and the more you, and by the way, you can't just do it by taking steroids. You actually have to do the work, right? And that's, so that's back to, there are no real shortcuts here, but, but one of the assistance to being, uh, to helping this happen is if you're a male and you're in your later part of your life and you want to maintain muscle mass, um, it's worth discussing with your physician. Yeah. And then do they like do blood work every like six months or? Yeah, like, so I get, sure. I get blood drawn every six months. Um, it's just a sort of a check-in yeah, uh, to see what's there. happening, but um, uh, there's no, you know, there, I, I Again, so far I've been doing this, been no contraindications of any kind. Yeah. And, and there's, I mean, HGH and stuff is something I feel like that, you know, a little bit less talked about, but then testosterone, but something that people would be doing in addition to that. Are you doing any HGH? Not yet. And that's one of those ones that um, I haven't, um, I've looked at it and that's one of the ones that I'm still a little, Weary. Uh, a little concerned about uh, the, um, the possibility of um, prompting the growth of its human growth hormone, the growth of, of, you know, other cells that might be um, 
acting up and uh, going down a path of uh, you know precancerous things like yeah. that. So mm-hmm. it's not to say. I mean, I've, I've done enough, re- enough research, and there'll probably be a time at which I'll do it because one of the while testosterone is kind of largely involved in uh, in muscle growth and you know, other sort of male characteristics, and somewhat in the connective tissue. Um, HGH is really involved in connective tissue. Uh, that's you know the 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 cartilaginous parts of us, uh, the collagenous parts of us, the the uh, tendons, ligaments, fascia, connective tissue. You know all all of those things for which we supplement with collagen. Yeah, uh, that's where growth hormone comes. So I'm not I'm not uh, discounting the fact that I might to use the word play around with that at some point, but I might. Yeah. Well, some people are worried, like what if you have precancerous cells, like yeah. the human growth hormone spurs, the growth of them fast, like accelerate yeah, cancer in the body. Yeah. But as so you get older, your risk, the cells are slow down anyway. So they say, yeah. they say like, if you can get past like 80, that your chance of cancer being deadly is very low because well, the cells aren't growing. For sure. For sure. I mean, it's, it's, that, you know, there's a, there's a thing in the urology community that says that, um, that every, every person, every man over, uh, you know, 75 or 78 who dies, dies with prostate cancer, not of prostate cancer, yeah. but with, in other words, it's, you know, sort of part of the, part of the process that the body goes through. I mean, my dad had, um, had a kidney cancer, uh, when he was, 83, he got diagnosed and he was given two weeks to two months to live. Um, and he lived over five, five years longer That's cool. uh, and had some of the best days of his life because every day he woke up, he thought, is today my last day, right? So yeah. it was a weird, a weird, and it was an inappropriate diagnosis by the doctor. But the point was that that cancer that was discovered because my dad hated doctors, hated going to, to the, to see a doctor um, had went had, had gone for another complaint, and then a scan showed this tumor on his on his um, kidneys, close to his heart. And so, you know, the doctor all of a sudden the doctor you know rushes to this diagnosis and this prognosis. Um, but I suspect that that cancer had been already been growing for twenty yeah. years, yeah. you know, and it's slow growing kind of thing. So, yeah. so it's um, you know it's it's a one of those things that, yeah, you, you have to kind of look at where you are in your life and what are the, um, what are the complaints you're trying to address right now? Like young, young males, uh, have no reason to be supplementing with testosterone unless they're, you know, want to be on the cover of a, of a, of a bodybuilding magazine. Yeah. Talk um, about that. Cause one of the questions that came in was like, my boyfriend wants to do it. And he's 28 with healthy testosterone levels. Like, what do you think about young men doing this kind of stuff? I mean, what I think about it is I would, I would personally put it off for as long as I can. Got it. Um, and I would take advantage of my youth at that time. Uh, there are supplements that you can take that, well, first things you have to, you have to control for, um, are you eating well? Cause yeah. if you're not eating well, then, there's no reason to try and bypass it. You can't supplement diet. your way out of that one. You can't supplement it. Yeah. You can't, you can't exercise your way out of a bad diet. You can't supplement your way out of a bad diet. Um, and this, uh, and then are you controlling stress? You know, are you in a job that's stressful? Are you doing all the things in your life that would otherwise support your normal testosterone production uh, and, and put you at the top of the, uh, top of the heap? I played ultimate last week with a, 
a friend of my son's who's a great athlete who had torn his hamstring in a game two weeks before. And whereas I would have been sidelined for six months, this guy comes back two weeks later and says, I'll play a little bit and I'll just, I'll be, I'll, I'll mostly throw, I'll be a quarterback. Next thing you know, he's doing some runs and doing some jumps. I'm like, it's because he's, you know, he's, he's 29 years old and his testosterone, his normal testosterone is so high. He recovered from all of this. Yeah. Um, Then there are some, um, there are some supplements you can take Uh, vitamin D. Like if you're low in vitamin D, vitamin D is a, one of the sort of precursor steroid hormones to, uh, to testosterone. Um, You can take DHEA, uh, um, which is a common, uh, supplement that people take. Uh, you can take um, fenugreek, which sort of prevents the aromatization of male testosterone to estrogen. So some some men produce a fair amount of testosterone, but then uh, they have these uh, enzyme systems in the body that that either again result of stress, a result of too much soy, uh, a lot of other factors can aromatize some of their own testosterone into estrogen and cause. Uh, you know, the, the, the antithetical effects, if you will, toward, uh, to the energetic route that most men want to go down. So there are a lot of things that you can do prior to supplementing, uh, you know, with testosterone. Yeah. And do you think like, if you had been less healthy and less fit and gone on testosterone, you would have noticed like bigger difference? Like, do you Oh think yeah. That? No, it's interesting that you say that because because if I'd been less healthy and less fit, um, you know, I, I probably would have uh, noticed, you know, I don't know. I, I, I'm trying to put myself in that headspace where if I didn't work out and then I started on a program and started then lifting, I'd really notice some things. Well, well, and with supplementing, like, that's what I'm curious about. Like someone who's maybe like been a little bit less healthy and like, cause there's a lot of like, don't they say, te- what do they say testosterone does? But I mean, it, Increase libido, increase energy. Like, what would be the increase fat? It's all the things you want, right? Yeah. You know, it's yeah. it's uh, it's not a it's not a bad thing. And I think you know, if you if you look at uh, the the millions of uh, the tens of millions of men, probably hundreds of millions now, but tens of millions of men, and way more tens of millions of women who are you know pre peri post menopausal who are on. Uh, uh, you know, hormone replacement uh, therapies, um, bioidentical being the sort of yeah. you know, primary word. Um, you know, women have no problem taking these uh, topical uh, estrogen, progesterone, even testosterone replacement therapies. So, um, you know, it's it's. Uh, I think it's it's a common part of the anti-aging medicine route that people will take now. And what I would say is just, just, I would just put it off as long as I possibly yeah, can. And once do you're all on it, you're kind of on it. Yeah. Put it. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly. Well, that makes sense. Um, okay. What are some other things you can do to support testosterone before you go in, like before you're ready to do? Yeah. So again, you just get your diet, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, that means um, plenty of, you know, cut, cut back on the sugars and the inflammatory oils and uh, increase your intake of healthy fat, make sure your protein levels are up there. Um, 
on the diet really quick, I have to tell you this. I don't know if I've ever told you this, but when I, when I first started working for you, so I had been like pescatarian for years, like six years. And I went to see a naturopathic doctor. She tested all my hormones and everything. And she, I was probably God, like 29 at the time, maybe 30. She was like, you, I've never seen testosterone levels so low in a 30 year old female. Like, this is like something I would see in a perimenopausal woman. Like, and I think it was because I wasn't eating nearly enough animal protein, quite honestly. Like, is there a link there? I'd agree hundred percent. Yeah, I would agree hundred percent. That's, I have a real, you know, issue with, um, with vegan, uh, the sort of the vegan approach. Uh, and in many cases, the, the, the pescatarian approach. And a lot of times, especially female pescatarians, you know, they're, you're, you're basically a vegan eating a little bit of fish once in a while. Yeah. It was like, you know, week you eat salmon. Yeah, so you go to dinner, you order salmon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So that's not enough to support healthy levels of these, uh, of the healthy fats and the protein levels that you want in your body. And you want not just protein, but you want, um, you know, high quality protein yeah. because the body, I, I, some of these vegan protein supplements that you see are so inefficient in their digestibility and their assimilability that, uh, you know, it's, it's, you could barely call them protein supplements. Yeah. So yeah. So diet, diet is, is a big thing there. I think uh, controlling stress, as I said, huge. Um, I would say lifting weights. This is one of the reasons that, that I got so on board with lifting weights, even though I'd been a endurance athlete most of my life as an endurance athlete, I had low testosterone. Um, and when I started lifting my testosterone in, improved or increased, I'll give you a little interesting story about, um, doping in the tour de France. So most of the guys who were guilty of doping, of using testosterone, uh, in the tour de France, we're not trying to become Superman. They were literally trying to wake up the next morning and be able to go get in the race again and do another oh, hard 160 mile day. So when you have somebody like Floyd Landis who tested, who won the tour in 2007, tested positive for uh, exogenous testosterone, he didn't have a high level of testosterone. He had, he still had a very low level of testosterone when he, when he tested. It was just that he had he had supplemented with a type of testosterone that they can identify through, um, you know, mass spectrometry. Uh, and, and that's what he, so he was found guilty of having dope of having taken exogenous testosterone into his body, but it wasn't like these guys are all trying to get buff and yeah. huge from that. It's literally their testosterone is so chronically low from the, the amount of uh, training that they're doing uh, that, that there are some days you wake up and you're like, if you were training, you'd say, I got to go to the hospital. Uh, I'm, I feel like shit. But if, but, but if you're, you know, 14 days into a 21 day race, you can't wake up that morning leading the entire race and go, I feel like shit. I can't, you know, now I'm not defending what these guys did, but I'm telling you the reason they did it was, was to, um, to offset this, horrible depletion that happens as a result of chronic endurance training. So when I was a marathon or triathlete, I had relatively lower levels of testosterone than I did in my fifties, uh, because chronic training will deplete testosterone in, in men and women. And that, that isn't just 
the reason that you see skinny marathoners with no upper body, even though they try to lift weights, but you also see injuries, uh, you know, skeletal injuries, uh, bone bruises and fractures and things like that, because there's, there's a relatively lower level of testosterone to repair the, the daily damage done because of this chronic level of training. So the, the antithesis of that, and one of the reasons that I haven't run a mile in 25 years, like I literally haven't put on running shoes and gone out the door to run a mile in 25 years. Now I've, I've tried like four times. I got like 200 yards down the road. I'm like, what am I doing? This is a, it's not fun. B I have no interest in doing this. And so I turn around and walk home. Now I sprint because sprinting is a form of, uh, of powerful exertion. And, and it's almost a form of lifting weights. The amount of, of, um, of force generated in the muscles and on the bones is, uh, multiples of what is generated if you're jogging or, or just doing endurance training. So I sprint, I lift heavy weights and lifting heavy weights doesn't mean lifting every day. It means once in a while, it means doing that hard weight workout and then giving yourself rest. So that your body, not only do you recover from that workout, but you build back stronger from that workout. So one of the dangers of, of people who get into my lifestyle is I got to, I got to work out every day and I got to do, you know, two hours in the gym every day. And if I miss a day, I feel, you know, I feel like I've done myself a disservice. No, you have to really, that the whole concept of training is to break it down a little bit, give that little pulse of testosterone and growth hormone, and then allow good nutrition and rest. So you build back a little bit stronger. Uh, and it's a fine line, you know, between what is enough to cause the body to want to respond and what is too much to cause the body to then go down this, this hole of overtraining. Yep. Interesting. Yeah. Why is testosterone such a big deal in doping though? Like why can't, I mean, it seems like, I don't know. Well, you know, so I like, do you think it's overregulated? Like they should just be allowing it or what do you think on testosterone? I can say this now, but, um, you know, for 15 years, I was the anti-doping commissioner of the sport of triathlon <laughs> worldwide. So I literally, you know, I and, and a friend of mine, Craig Masback, wrote the anti-doping rules for the sport of triathlon worldwide back in the early 90s. And um, I administered, you know, I was the one who was responsible for overseeing every positive test That's for uh, a lot of years. And through those years, I, I had this nagging feeling like here we have these drugs that are actually medicine they're not poisons they're medicines yeah that people are taking to improve their performance and in some cases like testosterone um you've got a hundred thousand kids or a million kids who want to become the best in the world at what they do and they're training their asses off and in most cases they're overtraining. and this is particularly true with distance events, distance and endurance races, like, you know, triathlons and marathons and swimming and things like that. These kids are training their asses off and there's only room for one best in the world. There's only one gold medalist, right? There's only one world record holder. And so yet you, you, you feed these hundreds of thousands of kids into the system. Uh, and as they become better and better at it and they, and they start to develop to become among the best in the world in their twenties, then you say, okay, um, you got to train your ass off and, and we're going to deny you access 
to the same medicines we'd give any poor schlub who walked into an emergency room on Monday morning and said, geez, doc, I overdid it. And, you know, yeah. what, what do you got for me? So it's it's a little bit uh, hip, hypocritical to be training kids uh, and even elite athletes that hard and then deny them access. And, you know, a great example would be the NFL. I mean, the NFL, these guys, you know, teams have 50 million, 100 million, 200 million dollars invested in these in these athletes. And then to somehow say you can't you can't take these medicines to, you know, allow you to recover enough to play in three weeks rather than three months. Um, I always found that, you know, these are modern day gladiators. I don't think the public really cares if they're taking uh, medicines to help them perform. The public wants to see, you know, world records and higher and yeah. stronger and faster. And good games and yeah, yeah, totally. Good games. And, and so over the years, I realized that the, the only, the people who cared the most about doping in sports was the media. The media just wanted something yeah, yeah. salacious to write about. But um, so, so I feel like in a perfect world, um, professional athletes, not, not students, not kids, but professional athletes would be allowed um, access to test, say, up to a certain level that was considered safe and appropriate for recovery. And beyond that, if you tested positive, it wasn't like you were ostracized, excommunicated, a bad person, a cheater. It's like an infraction. You got to sit the next game out, you know, until yeah. your levels come back down again. You have to sit out. That's that's sort of what I would would have done with this. Interesting. But, um, you know the uh, like. I don't know what happened with the with the skater, the Russian skater in the Olympics. Did you see that story about the fifteen year old girl? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Tell everyone what happened. I don't. Well, I'm not. I didn't pay that much attention to it myself. But she, you know, she uh, she had had a positive test for some perf- some 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 performance enhancing drug. Something. A drug that was on the performance enhancing list. And sometimes these lists, there's no rhyme or reason. Like you know, you if you're a um, if you're a uh, cross country skier or a biathlete in the Winter Olympics almost invariably you have exercise induced asthma from breathing in this dry, cold air your whole life. And so even though um, um, albuterol, salmeterol, these, these inhalers are, are considered banned substances because they open up your lungs and, enhance, and they can enhance performance. Virtually every uh, endurance skier has a therapeutic, a TUE, a therapeutic use exemption because they got diagnosed oh, with, okay. with, with, with exercise asthma. So it it's, makes sense that you should be allowed to use this, but then if you don't have the diagnosis, now you're, uh, now you're again, you serve, a two year, you serve a two-year suspension for using it, right? Got it. So there's these, uh, and so some of the medicines that are on the list are not that, um, you know, are not, not that dangerous. Yeah. Um, you know, for the longest time, and it may be cannabis, uh, you know, THC, dope, uh, you know, pot was on the list of banned substances. Uh, and yet it, uh, you know, it's, it's the, the exact opposite of a performance enhancer if you're doing a sprint event. But the reason for its uh, existence apparently is that because it gives you an unfair advantage of quieting the nerves down the mm. night before the night before a big race, it's on the list. I mean, seriously? 
Yeah. Um, one of the first cases of, uh, of uh, an athlete, uh, I forget his name, I think it was Ross Reglebuti or something like that, a, a, a snowboarder uh, in the um, first time that snowboarding was in the Olympic Games got, you know, uh, his, his sample came back positive for THC. He'd smoked a joint the night before or maybe even the day of uh, a half pipe run. Well, the half pipe is a freaking dangerous, yeah. uh, you know, people, you know, have died. People have broken their necks, uh, had traumatic brain injuries from hitting the edge of the ice and stuff like that. So, you know, they, they considered um, that the fact that you would take a, a hit off of a, off a bong before an event to be a performance enhancer because it quieted your nerves down. Um, and yet they let them wear, uh, you know, headphones where they're, they're playing uh, Nirvana or, yeah. uh, you know, some heavy metal shit. I don't know. It, it, there's no rhyme or reason. I, 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 I'm sorry. I didn't mean for this uh, conversation to sort of wander into the area of. Uh, no, no. It's, I think it's interesting because it's like, that's where most people know about testosterone supplementation, yeah. right? Like, and so it has this big media, like scary thing. And people right. think, Oh my God, you're on steroids. And it's like, well, really? Like, I mean, this is no different than supplementing, I don't know yeah, and, if you have low iron levels or magnesium, if you no, have. Correct. Yeah. Correct. And where it gets, you know, where it gets dicey is, is um, you have men, men uh, I take a bioidentical isomer of testosterone, but then there are uh, labs that make these uh, variations of, of androgenic um, hormones that have other effects. Um oh. You know, so that's where the bodybuilders come in and they'll say some of them are, you know, like Nandrolone is a huge uh, muscle builder, but it's also involved in um, speeding up the repair of, of, uh, of torn tissue. So it was a favorite among sprinters in the 70s and 80s. And sorry, Nandrolone, um, is that like? Nandrolone, a- yeah. It's called yeah. Deca, Deca but it, it, the Nandrolone was a primary uh, form of, of, um, of a steroid hormone that that was a positive test okay, in got it. Early days. but then you have now um weightlifters body bodybuilders taking trenbolone trenbolone is an animal uh steroid it, it increases the size of uh of animals that you're going to fatten up for slaughter mm-hmm. a lot of bodybuilders take that because of its uh you know water retention properties and its building properties okay. so a lot of a lot of variations of of the male testosterone that get incorporated and get abused, I would say. I, I hear you. Um, yeah, yeah. And so that's where the, because, you know, bodybuilders don't just, don't put on 120 pounds of muscle just because they increased their testosterone levels. Yeah. And you know, there, happier, yeah. There's often a lot, a lot more to that. Yeah. And so the, the testosterone form you are most, either you like the best, yeah. like a compounded pharmacy bioidentical yeah. type of a testosterone. Yeah, it's it's a it's a cypionate. It, it's a standard. Uh, you know, there's enanthate, cypionate, uh, okay. propionate. There's three different basic esters. You try, you find the one that I don't know that works best. They're all sort of similar. Um, I don't know. I think some get taken up by some people better than others. Yeah, interesting. Um, I, I have no attachment to any one of them. Okay. Yeah, got it. All right. Well, this was awesome. I feel like I got a nice, good lesson in testosterone. Um, thanks so much. We'll have to do the next reader Q&A on the next subject soon. Cool. I agree. Let's do it. All right. Thanks, Mark. Yeah. Bye.